What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good morning. It is 5 a.m. on Wall Street, and here's your top five at five stocks. Snapping their losing streak yesterday as investors shake off fears over rising interest rates. More gains could be on deck today. Futures are pointing higher. Top of the market's radar today, the kickoff of the Fed's Jackson Hole Summit. Questions swirling over just how hawkish Jay Powell and the central bank may get to tackle sky-high inflation. China taking new steps to shore up its own economy, rolling out new stimulus to combat the growing impact of a real estate downturn and zero COVID policies. Fresh warnings from two tech darlings, shares of NVIDIA and Salesforce under pressure as the two companies signal a tough road ahead. And heading to the hill, the Twitter whistleblower set to testify to Congress as the latest black eye for the company reportedly leads to a mass employee exodus. It is Thursday, August 25th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. A very good morning to you. I'm Wilfred Frost uh, in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Uh, let's get you up to speed on what the markets uh, are looking like this hour. Very good is the answer to that. Uh, U.S. equity futures uh, pointing uh, higher to the tune of, what, 0.9% on the S&P, a uh, full percent uh, on the Nasdaq and uh, the Dow higher by about zero. Uh, 0.6%. Of course, it comes off a day yesterday when we did see uh, decent gains uh, and a steady improvement during the course uh, of the day uh, for U.S. markets. Uh, We saw the Dow up 0.2%, the Nasdaq up 0.4% yesterday, uh, and uh, we saw uh, the S&P somewhere in between. Week to date, though, uh, we've still got all three of those indices down about 2%. Most of the damage done back in the early part of the week um, down uh, on Monday in particular. And so far for the week, 10 of the sectors on the S&P are lower. Only energy is higher, which is higher by 4.6%. By the way, let's have a quick look at bonds uh, this morning. The 10-year Treasury yield is uh, at uh, 3.085. We did get up above 3.1% yesterday. But during the course of the week, it has been a case of higher yields uh, overall. Uh, dollar was flat yesterday, but is higher for the week. It's up about 0.4% so far this week. And uh, we have seen oil prices uh, uh, rise, of course, over the course of the last couple of trading days, which has helped energy uh, as a sector within the S&P. Uh, yesterday, oil was up 1.2%. Uh, it's up uh, again uh, this morning. But the big story, of course, has been uh, gas prices in Europe. We can have a look at uh, Dutch TTF uh, wholesale gas prices. Uh, up around uh, $300 uh, today, uh, 15% or so. Uh, Month to date, up over 50%. Year to date, up well over 300%. Uh, Quite extraordinary moves there for uh, those gas prices, wholesale gas prices here. Some pretty extraordinary moves as well today in Asian trade. Uh, let's check in on that. Juliana Tattlebaum uh, has uh, a preview, a preview, no, an update, uh, live trading for both Europe <laughs> and Asia for us. Juliana. 
Wilf, good morning. Well, the Asian session was fairly extraordinary. We saw the Hong Kong market to temporarily close. Ultimately, when it reopened, we saw that Hong Kong market gain substantially. The Hong Kong tech index rose about 6%. Uh, as for European markets, we're also trading higher this morning. Gains across the board. The German market up about 0.7%. A couple of bright data points out of Germany this morning, which has been rare recently. Q2 GDP coming in better than expected. Also, the EFO confidence surveys came in slightly better than expected for the month of August. The German network regulator also coming out saying that they do intend to fill their gas storage to 85% by October 1st. They're aiming, they're hoping for 95% by November 1st. So some modestly positive developments there. Overall, European equities trading higher. From a sector perspective, this is the split in Europe. We've got oil and gas out in front, up 1%. Wilf, just as you flagged, we are seeing the oil majors rally in lockstep with the price of oil. On the downside, autos, real estate, and retail underperforming. One corporate story to flag for you, Novartis in the pharma sector. The Swiss pharma giant is set to spin off Sandoz, its generics and biosimilars division, and list it in Switzerland with an ADR in the U.S. Novartis says the move will allow it to focus on innovation of medicines delivering added benefit to investors. The process should be completed in the second half of the year, and we've got a modest bounce for Novartis. We're up about 0.7%. Wolf? Juliana, thanks so much for that. Let's get a check now on your other top stories this morning. Frank Holland is here with those. Very good morning to you, Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Wolf. We're going to start with some news out of China. China taking new steps to help boost its economy. Officials announcing $44 billion in new stimulus measures, including steps to create jobs and stabilize the labor market there. The move comes as China grapples with growing economic pressures from a downturn in its property sector and its zero COVID policies. Beijing set its lowest growth target in three decades of about five and a half percent this year. Starbucks reportedly illegally withheld raises and benefits from thousands of unionized baristas. This, according to The Washington Post, citing a complaint by the National Labor Relations Board. The Post says the group is seeking back payments and benefits for unionized workers and for interim CEO Howard Schultz to read a statement to workers about their union rights. The paper adds that Starbucks is denying all claims. And meta platforms in Twitter are being accused of taking down accounts pushing pro-U.S. messages. According to a new report from Grafica and the Stanford Internet Observatory, the duo removed accounts pushing pro-Western themes in the Middle East and Central Asia. This includes posts critical of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The report adds that the campaign, which took place on social media platforms over a period of about five years, did not have widespread impact. That's the latest. Wolf, back over to you. Frank Collin, thanks so much. We'll see you again later in the hour. But uh, let's get back to the markets now with investor attention, of course, turning to the Fed's Jackson Hole Summit. And uh, uh, your next guest says Jay Powell faces the difficult challenge of threading the needle when it comes to what investors want to hear and staying firm on the central bank's rate hike strategy. David Nelson is the chief strategist at, at Bell Point Asset Management. Uh, David, Thanks so much uh, for, for joining me uh, today. I'm, I'm interesting in your notes, in fact, if, if I refer back to them, you say that the markets are looking for a catalyst. Is that a, the markets looking for a catalyst to, to keep going higher? Or in fact, is it the other way around? Are they are looking for a reason to correct uh, if, if they get even the slightest bit of hawkishness from Jay Powell? It could be either. Uh, they are looking to Jackson Hole. This week was all about Jackson Hole, and they're looking to that for, for direction. Uh, look, uh, I think the rhetoric's going to be pretty tough. Even a, even a dove like a Neil Kashkari, Minneapolis Fed president, he's turning to a raging hawk. Uh, 
But it all begs the question, what's driven the rally off, off the June lows? I would look to futures pricing and Fed funds and will there be next year. Right or wrong, what's priced in right now is a, a terminal rate of about 3.7%. But it's the back half of 23 that's the most interesting, Wilford. Right now, investors are pricing in actual rate cuts. We'll see if uh, Jay uses his comments uh, tomorrow to change that, that view. And, and as we stand, David, do you think the risk is to the downside for markets because they're expecting a slightly more dovish tone from him or, or in fact, the other way around? Unknown at this point. We've had a pretty strong bid off the June lows. Uh, I think the lows are in for the year. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't go down from here or that the cyclical bear market is, uh, is over. But uh, we're going to need to see something we haven't seen yet to break those lows at this point. My biggest concern right now, what markets aren't pricing in, is energy. Uh, Saudi Arabia's oil minister floated a trial balloon this week saying that OPEC may be forced to cut production. And this is after President Biden made a state visit in part to secure additional output. The administration is not going to be able to continue selling a million barrels a day. That has to end by the election. We're depleting the SPR. It's at dangerously low levels. And the only way you can fix that is to buy more oil. Um, in terms of uh, the outlook for the U.S. economy, clearly a lot better uh, than that of Europe. Though in the last month or so, have we seen the way in which negative headlines about Europe and the U.K.'s economic outlook can infect market sentiment in the U.S., even if the U.S. economy remains more resilient? Yeah, it can. Uh, look, we're, we're still a global society, like or, or not. Uh, PMIs around the world have been falling. They've been falling here. They're certainly falling in Europe. Uh, they've been falling in Asia. You know, we're just coming out of a recession right now as we speak. Uh, we're looking at about one and a half percent GDP for the third and fourth quarter. We could easily slip back into recession uh, next year if we don't make, make the right moves. We got a jet out of, get out of jail free card for this past quarter in terms of earnings. That's just about over. I think the next catalyst is actually the next, uh, the third quarter earnings season in October. We're going to need to see an improvement in some of these numbers to justify the exposure that investors have put on this quarter. Uh, so uh, sum it up for us, David. Are you, are you buying any U.S. sectors in particular right now where, where they're attractive or more likely taking any profits in some that have bounced too hard since those June lows? I'm out of money, Wilford. I'm all in at this point. I'm fully invested across the board. Uh, I'd say I'm probably market weight for most of the sectors uh, at this point. Uh, my one overweight uh, right now is still energy. The free cash flows are just I can't deny it. You know, it's just too good to be true. I've got to stay with that trade. David Nelson, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Very much uh, appreciated. When we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, the latest on the growing energy crisis in Europe, how record temperatures uh, in the region may fuel the issue even further. Plus, your money's big money movers. Uh, shares of one cloud company taking off on the back of quarterly results. We'll have that story. And Amazon pulling the plug on uh, one endeavor in its bid to break into the healthcare space. A very busy hour still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. 
Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, package-less and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Uh, European natural gas prices have been trading at or near new record highs uh, in recent days. The market's uh, on edge as Gazprom will shut down the main Russian pipeline to Europe, Nord Stream 1, for three days uh, of maintenance next week. Uh, Prices were already sky high, of course, uh, with the pipeline currently only at 20% of capacity in the first place. It's also spilling over to prices in the futures uh, for German and UK electricity. This chart shows the December contracts for both. Uh, Adding to the strain, drought conditions causing record low levels on the Rhine in Germany, the Thames in the UK and other major waterways reducing available hydro and uh, hydropower uh, and water for cooling of nuclear plants. Uh, So it's a pretty much perfect storm uh, on the European energy front. Let's talk more about it. Fabian Ronigan, senior analyst uh, at Reistead Energy. Thanks so much for for joining us, uh, Fabian. And and hopefully we can bring up as well the Dutch TTF price whilst we're uh, doing this first question, because extraordinary to see the levels uh, that that we're getting for that wholesale gas price, um, raw commodity gas price in Europe, pushing past again the peaks that we saw in March when the war first broke out and surprised us all. What's driven us to this fresh peak in the last uh, last uh, week or last few trading days? Yeah, hi, Wilfred. Uh, thanks for having me. So, yeah, it's been absolutely extraordinary, the movement we have seen in the last few days for, for gas power. And, and it is related to what you said in the beginning, that now Gazprom has announced that they're going to shut down Nord Stream 1 uh, in the end of the month. And it's already been on very low levels for close to two months now. So, and of course, gas and power is very connected in Europe, but that's the reason why we have seen this surge in, in power contracts on all on all timescales, really. Like you see new daily records above 600 euros per megawatt hour, but also on the weekly and monthly averages, uh, it, it's new records every every week now and every month. So, and also longer out in, out in time, like you said, the beginning of 2023, 2023 is looking really bleak for European power, especially in France and Germany. So that's like the short description. If- and... and Finish your thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like the, 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 what you said in the beginning about the perfect storm is really like the, the, a good description, I would say, because you have the gas and the coal markets, which is like the you know price setters in many hours of the day. But in addition, you have all the impact from you know low hydropower across the continent, uh, low nuclear availability, and so on. So it's really a lot of factors adding up. Uh, but this is the gas price that has been like the main driver in the in the last few days. Um, in terms of there being perhaps a small silver lining, uh, looking through some of your, your research, is that, that storage levels of natural gas in Europe are actually not too low. There has been, despite these cutbacks on the Nord Stream pipeline's uh, capacity over the summer, there has been some success in replenishing those stores. What, what level of cover does that provide Europe heading into winter? Is it just marginal cover for a day or two here or there, or, or could it offset uh, any attempts by Russia to, to really hit uh, Europe hard during the winter months? Yeah, the storage level is one of the really few good things in the gas market at the moment that many of these European countries have been able to fill storage 
close to the targets for 1st of October and, and 1st of November and so on. So overall, European storage, I think, stood at 77% a couple of days ago, while in Germany, for example, it, it's even higher than that. So, 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 so that's really the good point, that, that, that you could be able to get through the winter just with the storage. But for example, in a scenario where, where Russian gas is cut, those, those injection to storage will rapidly decrease uh, very, very quickly. And, uh, and, and may last through winter, depending on you know the, the, the gas demand through the winter. Um, but uh, but um, but that's like the only light point in in the gas market at the moment is the high storage levels. I would say. And, and uh, if Russia was to, to do what it's done of late and reduce Nord Stream 1 to 15, 20 percent capacity or even worse, do what it's going to do next week and decide for three days to, to shut it off altogether. If we were in the peak of, uh, of winter or the depth of winter, I, I should probably say, what would happen in Europe? Would Europe go dark or, or in fact, are there other ways in the short term that Europe could keep the lights on? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So in the scenario where Russian gas is, is cut completely, you will have, you know, the, the first reaction will be like a, a surge in prices in gas prices and power prices and so on. So you will have some, some, some already like market dynamics that maybe could, you know, reduce overall power demand and so on. But depending on how cold the winter is, uh, you know, and all the other factors adding up, for example, coal availability, nuclear availability and so on, um, that will determine uh, the degree of uh, potential power rationing, for example. So I don't I don't think it's going to be you know large scale power rationing in Europe. Um, it doesn't look like that at the moment, even in a scenario where where Russian gas is is cut further. So and and also the there, I think an important detail is that some countries are uh, worse positioned than others. For example, the countries that are very dependent on Russian flows for for their gas uh, and have the difficulty replacing this with volumes for from for example Norway or or uh, or LNG and that that would be for example Germany and Italy. While other countries like the UK and Spain and France have so much regasification capacity that they're able to divert some of the Russian dependence to LNG, for example. Fabian Ronigan from uh, Ryston Energy, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning here on Worldwide Exchange. Uh, still to come, Wall Street uh, reportedly looking at ways to bypass new rules from President Biden's climate and health bill, the key program that could help prevent higher tax bills. We'll discuss that next. Today's big number, 453.1 million. That's how many barrels of oil are left in the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve as of last week, according to the Energy Information Administration. That's the lowest level since 1985. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. And Frank Holland is back with those. Hey, Frank. 
Hey, good morning again, Wolf. Let's start off with chipmaker NVIDIA. Second quarter earnings and revenue, they were in line with estimates. The company had warned earlier this month of a revenue shortfall due to weak gaming sales. NVIDIA now forecasting a further drop in third quarter sales as games continue to drag, but says that will be partially offset by growth in its data center and its auto business. Shares down more than 3% right now. Stock two, Salesforce. Second quarter results beat forecast, but the company's third quarter guidance softer than estimates. It's also trimming its outlook for the full year. Salesforce also launching its first major stock buyback of up to $10 billion. Speaking to Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night, co-CEO Mark Benioff acknowledged the lower guidance, and he says it reflects that deals are taking longer to close. This is a more measured economic environment. Everyone is trying to assess What's going on? How do they position themselves for this new economy? It's a new day for many companies. And I think when you look out at all these businesses, yes, they're all doing digital transformation. This is still everybody's number one priority. Every digital transformation is still beginning and ending with the customer. And Salesforce shares in the red this morning. Stock three, Snowflake. Shares are up double digits after the data software company easily beat revenue forecasts in the second quarter. Snowflake says it has more than 6,800 customers, including about 250 with annual product revenue upwards of $1 million. The company expects third quarter product revenue in the range of 500 to 505 million. Top range, top end of that range above estimates. Snowflake shares wealth up 17% this morning. Back over to you. Frank Collin, thanks uh, so much for that. And all the more impressive to see the Nasdaq uh, futures uh, up almost a full percent, 0.9% in light of those moves uh, lower for the likes of Salesforce and NVIDIA. But uh, time now to check in on the other headlines uh, outside of markets and your money. Francis Rivera joins us with those. Very good morning to you, Francis. Hi, Wilf. Good morning to you. Let's start this morning with a federal jury that has awarded the widow of NBA legend Kobe Bryant $16 million. Vanessa Bryant sued Los Angeles County alleging emotional distress over graphic photos taken and shared by first responders at the site of the helicopter crash that killed Kobe and Gianna Bryant along with seven others. Attorneys for the county argue the photos were deleted and never shared with the public. The co-plaintiff in the suit, Chris Chester, lost his wife and daughter in the crash. He was awarded $15 million in damages. Last year, L.A. County approved a $2.5 million settlement with the Mauser and Altobelli families over a similar lawsuit. Embattled Uvalde School District Police Chief Pete Arredondo has been fired. Arredondo had been on unpaid administrative leave after the May 24th shooting at Robb Elementary that took the lives of 19 children and two teachers. His attorney released a statement accusing the board of violating Arredondo's constitutional right to due process and calling for his immediate reinstatement. And we could learn more today about the FBI's search of former President Trump's Florida home. DOJ prosecutors have until noon today to give us judge-suggested redactions to the warrant's affidavit. That document could shed new light into why the search was approved. The judge has said he is inclined to unseal at least some of it. Earlier this month, FBI agents recovered a trove of top-secret and highly classified material from Mar-a-Lago, according to court documents. Well, those are your headlines on this Thursday. Francis Rivera, thank you so much for that. Uh, Still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, Peloton earnings on deck as it looks to find new ways to blunt its ongoing financial woes. We will dive into whether the former uh, stay-at-home darling may be able to write the ship. Uh, and if you haven't already, do follow our podcast available wherever you get your podcasts for free. Worldwide Exchange, back in a couple minutes.
Stocks set to soar after the down S&P snapped their three-day losing streaks. Futures pointing comfortably uh, to a positive open. The Fed in focus, the central bank set to kick off uh, its Jackson Hole summit. Any key questions uh, that Jay Powell uh, has will be answered. Uh, and employee exodus at Twitter details on an apparent growing number of exits amid mounting challenges for the social media company. It is Thursday, August 25th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Wilfred Frost uh, in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get you up to speed on the markets and futures pointing to a very healthy open. We just slipped a fraction in the last uh, hour or so. The uh, Nasdaq was up more than a percent in the pre-market based on uh, that current uh, points move that you can see there of uh, 83 points higher. Uh, it's uh, a little bit less than a percent uh, higher, about 0.8 percent now. Uh, the Dow, as you can see, up about 132 points uh, or half of 1 percent. The S&P somewhere in between. Yesterday, we saw a steady improvement through the day. We closed higher, but not by too much. The Dow is only up about two-tenths of a percent. And week to date, all three of those major averages all down about 2 percent following the declines, particularly uh, on Monday. A quick check on yields. The 10-year was above 3.1 percent again briefly. Yes, it's just below that level once again, about 3.074. Uh, yields just pulling back a fraction, but still elevated from where they closed last Friday. The 10-year was below 3 percent at the end of last week, uh, above that level, as you can see. Crude prices, uh, which have uh, had a decent uh, Last couple of days, uh, we've got WTI this morning uh, trading uh, at about $95. It's fractionally higher, but it is higher uh, so far uh, through the course of this week. And uh, natural gas also just pausing $9.30. It was above $10 earlier in the week. And, of course, we've seen a, a continual surge uh, in uh, European prices this week, hitting fresh records uh, in the course of the last 24 hours for that Dutch wholesale natural gas price. Now to some of your morning, this morning's uh, other top stories. Frank Holland, back with those. Hey, Frank. Again, Wolf, uh, we're going to start with some news about Wall Street. Wall Street apparently looking for ways to bypass that new tax in President Biden's health and climate bill. According to the Financial Times, bankers and lawyers are looking to help companies buy back shares next year without having to pay millions in extra taxes. The FT says the main strategy involves using accelerated share repurchase programs, but the plan will depend on the upcoming Treasury guidance on that matter. Amazon shutting down its telehealth service, the company making that move, which will take effect at the end of the year, after deciding it wasn't the right long-term solution for enterprise customers. The decision marks a major retreat by Amazon and its efforts to break into the healthcare space. And Twitter reportedly facing a growing number of employee departures amid allegations by a whistleblower and the company's legal fight with Elon Musk. Employee exits are currently at just over 18 percent, according to Reuters, citing audio from a company-wide meeting by executives with staff. Reuters says before Elon Musk made his bid to buy Twitter, that figure hovered right around 14 and 16 percent. Meanwhile, the Twitter whistleblower will testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee next month. The committee announcing that appearance by the company's former security chief, who alleged major security shortfalls by the company. Twitter shares down about 7 percent this week. Uh, that news weighing on the stock. Wolf, back over to you. Frank Holland, as always, thank you so much. Uh, now to our top story, the Federal Reserve kicking off its three-day Jackson Hole Economic uh, Symposium today. Uh, investors are uh, waiting to hear what 
sort of tone will be struck by Jay Powell uh, in particular. Let's discuss all of this uh, with Sarah House, senior economist at Wells Fargo, and Priya Misra uh, from TD Securities. Uh, a very good morning to you both. Um, Sarah, I'll touch uh, on the broad point, uh, particularly that the, the bears will be watching out for, is whether or not Jay Powell can surprise the market by either uh, forecasting higher certainty of recession in the U.S. or uh, a more hawkish tone. Do you think either of those two things uh, are possible? I think one important thing to look for will be to what extent Powell recognizes that we will have to see more pain in the labor market. I think we got a hint of that in the press conference from July, saying that a softest land, softish landing, in his view, would be one without a significant rise in unemployment. But I think if we do see that threshold for pain in the economy rise, I think that could be an, interpreted as, as a hawkish outcome. So that's one thing I'll be looking for. Priya, what's your take on that? Do you think he, he could surprise the market with a hawkish tone? So I, th I, th I think the rates market's already priced for a pretty hawkish message. I think he's going to continue to stress on inflation credibility. I think the market's focused on the pace of hikes. right? And I think there's some misunderstanding between slowing in the pace of hikes and how much they're actually going to hike. And I think if he draws that divergence, I think that's a little bit hawkish. And it is negative for risk assets. Because if he says, well, we can slow down the pace of hikes, but we still have a long way to go. We, we've just entered. We haven't actually even entered restrictive territory and to Sarah's point that the unemployment rate can rise but you know the the inflation is still public enemy number one and therefore the Fed has to keep going even at a slower pace that they're going to keep going and then they might have to stay at high rates for a while I think the 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 rates markets pricing in these rate cuts next year and I think that's been supporting the equity market and that might be a concern if Chair Powell says no it's still all about inflation and you know even if we slow down we're going to keep going until we see that two percent somewhere in the vicinity and that's still quite a ways off in our focus so i think we're looking for that hawkish message still even though the market i think is somewhat positioned for that hawkish message but sarah even in the in the shorter term you, you think that he will still be he and the fed will still be quite hawkish that there could be some quite big uh, rate hikes still to come in the next month or two I think the inflation state puts them in that position. So, yes, we saw some reprieve in both headline and a slower pace of, of core inflation. But we think that overall, the underlying trend in inflation here, even in the near term, remains pretty strong. So you'll get another weak print in August thanks to gasoline prices. But we're not looking for anything quite as weak as we saw in July for, for the core. So I think between that and just the overall strength that we continue to see out of the labor market, I think that keeps the, the heat turned up and, and the likelihood of another 75 basis point hike at the September meeting well alive. Um, Priya, we mentioned obviously uh, both inflation and unemployment, and we, we all know what the Fed's mandate is and what it's meant to focus on. But how closely will Jay Powell be looking at the housing data as well? You know, I think housing is clearly slowing probably the most. Um, and so the, it's, it's certainly part of the focus. But I would argue it's the intended consequence of tight. It was a very hot housing market. It's a highly interest sensitive sector. So the fact that they've raised rates at the fastest pace since the 1980s, that they're going to raise rates significantly more than, than where we are right now, I think that has to slow housing and it is slowing housing. So, you know, I, I don't think it's of undue concern just yet. I think it's still about the dual mandate and it's about how much of that unemployment rate increase 
will the Fed tolerate? Um, but I don't think he's going to give a whole lot of signs about uh, September, frankly. You know, you, you were talking about that earlier. I think the market's about 50% priced for a 75 hike. The Fed is telling us everything is data dependent. So, yes, housing matters, but so does inflation. So do inflation expectations, the labor market. I think that it's a very data dependent Fed without much forward guidance. So volatility, the tension here between, you know, the, this Fed's dual mandate on, on both ends and, and what they're going to prioritize. I think that's going to keep volatility high and it's going to be extremely data dependent. I almost think the next payroll report might be more important than Jackson Hole because it's really all about the data going forward. And Sarah, where do we stand in terms of broader financial conditions and, and liquidity? Has a lot been removed so far or is more to come kind of regardless of whether we get a 25, 50 or 75 basis point hike in the next meeting? Well, we've certainly seen some easing in financial conditions in, in recent weeks. and But when you step back and you look at where they are overall, we've, cert- we've still seen a significant tightening since since the beginning of, of the year. And so I don't think the Fed's going to be terribly concerned about the, the recent easing in, in the short term. But I think when they look at the overall state of, of financial can and when they look at the overall state of, of financial conditions, of course, that's the mechanism through which monetary policy works. And so they're going to want to see that remain on the tighter side to help bring down inflation and get to to that part of their mandate. Um, Prid, wanted to touch as well on the shape of the yield curve. Clearly, it's, it's inverted at the moment. To what extent do you think that's because the market is pricing in some of these rate cuts uh, once uh, rates have peaked too soon or because the market does uh, expect a recession to come through. So I think a recession is still not priced in because if you look at the rate cuts that you talked about, and absolutely, we're pricing in rate cuts starting the middle of next year for about a year. The end point, even after those rate cuts, is in restrictive territory. So I think the market's pricing in a soft landing, a reduction of inflation closer to target, which allows the Fed to take Fed funds from, you know, 385 or so to 3%. So I think a soft landing is priced in, but absolutely, it's the rate cuts that's flattening the curve. It's also concerns around global growth. So I think it's actually very justified. I think we can debate when and how much the Fed might cut rates. But I think the flattening bias on the curve here is likely to continue because that front end is going to keep being those front end interest rates will probably keep moving higher as the Fed fights inflation. But the long end is more anchored to long term growth, global growth, to whether inflation comes back down. So I think the long end stays more anchored, and I'm looking for more inversion in the yield curve, which unfortunately is bad news for investors because that signals that the longer-term prospects of the economy are not that strong. And, and is that accurate? Do you think that uh, the longer-term prospects are weak and that, that the U.S. recession that might materialize will be more pronounced than uh, people are currently expecting? So we are very concerned about a slowdown in growth. You know, whether it's a recession or, a, or you know, a, a mild recession or just around 0% growth, this is a late 23, 24 story. So we are concerned that, you know, the, the combination of fiscal stimulus wearing off, uh, global growth slowing, as well as a very significant tightening in financial conditions and Fed hikes, which we expect to continue, will slow things down, which is why... I think owning some long-end bonds here as a hedge against risk assets is attractive. I would just stay clear of the front end because the Fed's on a mission here to keep uh, you know, raising rates until they get inflation back down. Sarah and Priya, thank you both uh, so much for joining me on that very interesting discussion. Uh, Jackson Hole will be fascinating.
Now, ahead of uh, Powell's speech tomorrow, don't miss exclusive and first on interviews uh, today and tomorrow uh, with Esther George, Patrick Harker, James Bullard and uh, more. They'll be live from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, throughout the course uh, of the next couple of days. So to come here on Worldwide Exchange, Peloton said to report results on the back of a new deal with Amazon. We'll dive into whether that deal may be a first step towards better days for the fitness company. Uh, we'll also uh, be having uh, some other stories coming up as we had to break. Uh, we're going to touch on some of those trending stories. GameStop apparently boosting compensation for some uh, employees in in-store, according to reports. The retailer will give workers uh, pay rises and company stock in a bid to motivate and retain employees. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery hitting pause on a number of high-profile upcoming films. Release dates for its Aquaman and Shazam sequels are being pushed back as the company looks to cut costs following its pricey merger. And Blackstone's reportedly among several bidders uh, for Pink Floyd's catalogue. According to Reuters, the private equity firm, which is looking to boost its music rights collection, is not close to striking a deal. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Shares of Peloton on the move ahead of its earnings report. Uh, those results are out ahead of the open. The figures coming on the back of news that Peloton struck a deal with Amazon to sell its products on the retailer's uh, website, uh, marking Peloton's first partnership with another retailer uh, as Peloton, of course, continues its restructuring plan in a bid to broaden its customer base and navigate supply chain worries and reduce its physical store footprint. Let's discuss all of that, uh, in particular the uh, earnings. Uh, Ed uh, Yaruma, Managing Director at Piper Sandler, uh, joins uh, me now. Very good morning to you, uh, Ed. Um, I, I, why don't we talk about the restructuring first? I mean, is, is there a feeling out there that the restructuring is now pretty much complete and it's a case of looking forward again, or are they still ha only halfway through? I would say they're more than halfway through. I mean, they've done a number of critical changes, announcing the move of manufacturing uh, to outsource, uh, changing the distribution model. Uh, and, and I think that Amazon deals part of it. And the last piece that they indicated, and this is still more forthcoming, is that they are going to rationalize the store footprint. Obviously, you know, three, four years ago, no one knew what a Peloton was. Today, I think awareness is very high. And so having all those physical stores is probably unnecessary. Um, it, this uh, deal with Amazon, uh, is it seen as, as now the sort of heydays of high margins? Not that they ever really achieved them, but, but, but the possibility of uh, sustainable high margins will never arrive? Or, or this is a, a good step and it'll help their volumes? Look, I think it's a good step. It helps volumes. There's obviously a customer that loves the Amazon ecosystem. This is just another way for them to present their product to that incremental customer without obviously having the same kind of overhead that's required, either if it's occurring in their own channel uh, or in the store fleet. I mean, is there a risk, though, that the kind of quality of the brand is going to slip in, in customers' eyes? I mean, it's an expensive product. Uh, you're now having to assemble them more at home. It's not delivered by Peloton-branded uh, trucks and, and uh, employees that, that kind of adds to that weight of premium product. Is that, is that an issue for them long term? It's something they've definitely acknowledged, right? I think you're going to see them work very carefully to try to ensure that great customer service level, but it will be different, right? Not having devices delivered by that Peloton employee, having that same exact white glove service. So I think it's something we're going to have to watch very closely in the near to medium term to ensure that they still deliver the kind of uh, great service that Peloton is known for, but do it in a much more cost-effective way than when they were running their own trucks with their own delivery people. Um 
In terms of the outlook for subscribers and, and customers, I mean, clearly we've seen of late a couple of the streaming companies like Netflix start to lose subscribers, whether that continues or not remains to be seen. Is Peloton better protected from that possibility if we enter recession because people have spent so much on the bike in the first place that they're going to be less likely to want to turn off that subscription? We do think that the churn levels will remain relatively low. That said, uh, you know, similar to other you know, streaming services, we do think churn will move up. You know, to your point, one of the things is that in many instances, the consumer is still paying for that bike, right? And without that service, right, the bike doesn't really work. So I think that induces more customers to keep paying. That said, we are seeing more bikes come up for resale, which does indicate that maybe there was a group of pandemic purchasers that are less excited about their bikes today. Um, so talk us through what the valuation is uh, today, Ed, on your numbers and what your call on the stock is. Uh, we put a $12 price target on it. I think we're a little bit concerned about the near-term conditions. Uh, I, I would tell you that you know, we think they'll do about $3 million, uh, ending period subs. Um, but we're watching pretty closely. I think Barry's doing a great job at trying to stabilize the business, which we think that they've done. Um, and so I think we're, we're, we're patient, but we see the longer-term value behind the sub-business. Ed Yuruma, uh, thanks uh, so much for joining us uh, on that. Peloton's trading down about 2% or so uh, in the pre-market. Lots more still to come here on Worldwide Exchange, most uh, notably a preview for the market day ahead. Uh, futures nicely higher, but slipping a little bit. The Nasdaq futures were up a full percent. They're now up 0.6%, but all three major averages are pointing to a higher open. We will be right back. By the way, if you haven't yet, do subscribe to Worldwide Exchange's podcast. Back in a couple of minutes for the live show, though. Getting a very uh, strong start today in Asia there. Hong Kong uh, market uh, up 3.6%. In particular, tech stocks soaring uh, in uh, Hong Kong trade. Talk of a, a short squeeze there. It certainly helped uh, sentiment throughout the morning, both for European shares and U.S. futures. Though U.S. futures have lost some of that momentum. Uh, Nasdaq's up 0.6% still in the pre-market, uh, but had been up a full percent. Uh, let's focus on what's ahead uh, on the U.S. trading day. Three economic reports of note. Initial jobless claims uh, and second quarter GDP, both uh, due at 8.30 Eastern. And we get the Kansas City Fed Manufacturing Survey uh, at 11. We'll also get minutes from the ECB this morning at 7.30. Uh, and earnings continue with the likes of Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Dell uh, and Gap. And the main event, the Fed kicking off its summit uh, at Jackson Hole. That starts today with some of the key speeches coming tomorrow, but great interviews on CNBC uh, from today onwards. Uh, let's discuss what all of this means uh, for the trading day uh, ahead. Uh, Jay Hatfield from Infrastructure Capital Partners uh, joins us uh, now. And uh, Jay, do you think that the, the Fed has already done most of the work it needs to do in order to tame inflation or, or have some of the, the biggest hikes uh, still yet to come? Good morning, Wilfred. It's great to be on. We do think that the Fed has done um, really all they need to do to tame inflation. And the factor that almost no one is focusing on, and we're shocked by this, is the monetary base has already shrunk 15% this year, which is the fastest decline since the Great Depression. And if you follow um, the monetary theory of inflation at all, which I would recommend is important, at least when the Fed's radically changing the monetary base, then that means inflation should rapidly uh, decrease. Maybe it'll be reflected more slowly in CPI. So we think that the background is good, but the Fed is more focused on the, the expectations theory 
of inflation. So we do think they'll be hawkish, and that's going to be an overhead hang on the market probably throughout this year. And then maybe next year they start to figure out that inflation is dropping pretty quickly. And so, Jay, at the moment, the S&P 500's, uh, what, closed yesterday at sort of 4,140. What's your view of of what fair value is? We have a fair value model that's based on uh, 10-year treasuries and a a normalized uh, risk premium. And that fair value has actually dropped by 300 points. So it was at 4,600 just a week ago. And then you saw a global bond meltdown when... The Germans reported a almost unimaginable 5% increase in PPI, 37% year over year. That melted down the European bond market, hit our bond market. And so now our fair value is 4,300. And that's why we're cautious during this September, October timeframe where you don't have a lot of earnings reports, a pretty fair valued market and plenty of concerns about Fed policy, economic growth and inflation. Um, and, and what about if things do start to pull back? Where do you think uh, support gets found for the S&P 500? What sort of level would you would you be piling back in again? Well, we're, we're pretty bullish. Um, you had a, a, a good segment about the European energy crisis. What almost no one ever discusses is this is very, very positive for U.S. Uh, heavy industry, not just LNG and energy, but also fertilizer, chemicals, steel, all uh, all manufacturing requires gas or electricity. So we think the U.S. economy is very resilient. So we think we'll bounce um, probably 3,800. We'll be in that range between now and earnings season in October. So we're more constructive than most people because we watch the energy markets and the fundamentals. We think fundamentals are good. Technicals, not so good. You mentioned uh, that you felt the Fed had done most of its work already, but also then the extent to which... Uh, issues in Europe had infected U.S. markets. Uh, so, so do you think that U.S. markets can ignore a European recession or a worsening European outlook and what that does to European bonds or not? Well, if, if the European bond market just continued to sell off, then that would be an issue for the U.S. A lot of U.S. investors don't watch the world bond market, but those two markets are highly correlated. But the U.S. market... Uh, bond market is very, very attractive relative to the rest of the world. Uh, Japan's at zero. Um, you know, the um, <clears throat> Germany's about 150. So we have very, very attractive rates. So we do think that the U.S. Uh, Treasury bond will stabilize right in this 3% area. And because growth prospects are dropping in Europe, we don't think that their rates will continue to skyrocket. Okay. Jay Hatfield uh, from Infrastructure Capital Advisors. Uh, very many thanks for joining us uh, this morning. As we leave with the last 30 seconds, just want to get you up to speed on the markets because it looks very, very positive right now. The S&P futures are up a full half of 1%. The Dow's up 109. The Nasdaq's up 0.56%. But we were higher by a full percent on the Nasdaq futures just about an hour ago. So we are slipping. And similarly, European markets, which uh, uh, were higher by almost a percent uh, near the open, are only fractionally higher as we speak. Uh, The early market sentiment very positive as a Hong Kong tech stock short squeeze occurred, driving that market up 3.6%. But that positive sentiment has slipped a little bit as we go through the morning. Nonetheless, S&P futures up by half uh, of 1%. That does it for Worldwide Exchange. Squawkbox is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.